0: hey everyone welcome to the agency freedom podcast where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination i'm your host james jenkins thanks for joining us here on episode number 22. And For those of you that have been waiting so patiently for us to finally get around to talking about community engagement and the philanthropic efforts, the giving back side of being uh, a a leader in your community, of being a business professional, this episode is going to scratch that itch. I have the privilege of talking with my friend and colleague, Mr. Rob Bowen of New York. He and I spend a, a lively 50 minutes or so talking about his freedom jump and his experience as a former farmer's agent, just like I am, we, we do get into a lot of the, the personal connections that you guys love so much uh, from the, the conversations that I've had with our uh, Freedom Jumper family. We also dive all the way in uh, to Rob's work with Suits for Soldiers. And I know uh, he is very well connected with several uh, well-known people in the industry, including Chris Paradiso uh, of Connecticut. And uh, I really love the conversation, the the direction that it goes is really focused on the why and the how uh, of Rob's engagement in the Suits for Soldiers efforts, which uh, provides professional attire to uh, former Armed Services members. Uh, The give back, the why, is very strong in this episode. Uh, I I really enjoyed uh, my time with Rob. Uh, It is refreshing to be around someone uh, so grounded and and humble and effective. Effective at the same time, which which Rob certainly is. So a couple of quick housekeeping items. I would like to invite you to get with us on Facebook. If you type in Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar on Facebook, you can join our group. We passed over 100 uh, active members. And the dialogue, the engagement uh, has not been uh, nearly what it can be up to this point. Uh, but as the group grows in size, we're going to get more people, more voices, uh, better engagement engagement uh, across the board there. So, the other thing I will say simply is please connect with us at agencyfreedompodcast.com. You can sign up for the email list there so you never miss an episode. And that is it for the front end. Uh, please enjoy this lively conversation uh, with Rob Bowen of New York. Thanks for listening everybody. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast episode 22. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Howdy, folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Agency Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, James Jenkins. This is the show where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Really glad that you are here with us on this journey. I'd like to welcome our freedom jumpers, uh, those of you that have already made the move from captive to the independent world and are here trying to grab those best practices, those ideas, Uh, The community that we are building together. Uh, Real quick before we jump into the content here uh, with my friend Rob Bowen from New York, I wanted to ask if you would uh, please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast on whatever your platform is, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you like to listen. Drop us a review if you have something of value that you've received from this podcast. And lastly, and most importantly, virtually everybody who is listening to this podcast uh, is from the captive world in some form or fashion in our story. Share Agency Freedom Podcast with someone who is still in the captive world. And thank you for that. Uh, I am joined here by uh, Rob Bowen. Did I say your name right there? It's Yes, you did. Okay, good deal. There's so many different (laughs) pronunciations with names these days. I'm always a little bit scared when I'm not sure of someone's uh, name. He is from the great state of New York. Uh, He is a former farmer's agent, just like I am. And uh, he is also a veteran. Uh, For those of you watching on our YouTube channel, you'll see uh, some hardware behind him uh, there in his office. Uh, We're going to be getting into some of that in this episode. We haven't really talked about community engagement and philanthropic efforts. uh, But Rob is very serious about that. Uh, and we're going to jump in to Rob's story and lessons learned and best practices. And we're definitely going to talk about Suits for Soldiers. Uh, Rob, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate you making time.
1: James, it's it's a pleasure to be on. I've been listening to your podcast since episode one when I saw it pop up into my, um, on my phone. And I think what you're doing is amazing. You're kind of giving a roadmap to how to go from captive to indie. Um, And it's interesting today, I was thinking when I was in the captive world, and I started with State Farm for nine months and then went to Farmers. So I have a double whammy Mm -hmm. that I didn't even know what the term CRM or management system meant Hmm. or what it was. And to think about where I am now and all the things I've learned from a lot of other agents, it's amazing. But there's a lot of bumps in the road. A lot of learning, a lot of mistakes, um, which is fine. That's how you learn. But I think you know what you're doing is kind of giving people a roadmap of things that most people wouldn't even think about. Um, so it's it's been it's been a pleasure listening to your podcast, and I have watched you from afar. Um, thank God for social media. So I yeah. watched some of your transition and some of the things you were posting. And uh, it's it's actually a, it's a pleasure to meet you and see you in person. Um, looking forward to. Hopefully in person someday, actually shake your hand. That would be, that's the goal here.
0: Well, I'm going to be in Tampa if you want to, if you're coming down there, I I don't know if you will be.
1: Yep. I will be Awesome.
0: Well, I will make a point of finding you and shaking that, uh, what I'm sure is a very firm grip from every, (laughs) uh, I'm I'm an Air Force brat myself. My dad uh, served in the Vietnam era. uh, So I imagine your grip is rather strong, my friend. (laughs) Uh, If I haven't run you off from this thing, if you've been listening since episode one, we must be doing something right then. Uh, I, I pay close attention to uh, those statistics from, you know, episode to episode, trying to figure out what does our audience resonate more with. What topics do they find more interesting? And you know, the the listens and downloads, uh, the shares and whatnot. It's 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 enlightening for sure. So uh, thanks for for being with us this whole time. Uh, that, that is nice uh, for sure. And I I gotta say the the reason, and I know I've said this before, so Robin, sorry you're hearing it for the umpteenth time, but if this is your first episode of ever hearing agency freedom podcast, the main reason I started this thing uh was Jason Cass reached out and said, Hey, your statistics were really strong on these other three podcasts you've been a guest on. Um, I think you've you've got an edge somewhere, which I think just means that I'm, you know, unintentionally an asshole sometimes and (laughs) people don't uh, uh, don't mind hearing from someone who speaks a little too candidly Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes. Uh, But he said, I want you to do a podcast. What do you want to talk about? And I said, I don't know. And then I, I thought about it for an afternoon and a morning and I came back and said, what if we do a podcast on the journey from captive to independent? And then once you go independent, how do you thrive? Because what thriving looks like as a captive agent is very, very different. What thriving looks like as an independent, as I know, you know, my friend. We'll, we'll talk, I, about we, we talk about that. We will definitely
1: talk about that. That's so.
0: I mean, really, the whole thing is it didn't exist when I when I did my freedom jump. Uh, when I left in 2019, there was nothing like this. There's nothing that, that didn't exist. Uh so what we're really doing is providing the resources that I wish had been available for me when I was making the freedom jump. So thank you for your kind words there, my man. Oh, my um, pleasure. Man, I would love to hand you the microphone. Introduce yourself to our guest, who you are, what you do, what's your why to use the Simon Sinek word? Uh and just unpack the, you know, how you got to where you are at this point in your journey.
1: Okay. Um I served in the military for eight years, got out in 1995, spent about 13 years down on Wall Street, actually worked at Standard & Poor's and raided life insurance companies. Um, so I'd been around insurance, um, had a couple other jobs. And then when I turned 50, seven years ago, decided insurance. Let's go insurance retail. Um, connected up with State Farm, did that for nine months and was told I wouldn't make it. So didn't get a hmm. permanent contract, even though I was the number two producer in my county. So Well,
0: they were wrong. So yeah, they were wrong. thank you, State Farm, for getting it wrong about Rob <laughs> Bowen.
1: Um, and, and the main reason was, and I should have, should have taken this uh, to heart at that point, but um, as I've heard you say on the other podcast, the answer to your question is there's 116 products at State Farm you need to sell. Oh god, that's the number. Oh, um so no. I yeah, thank you. I was waiting for you to push that button. No. Um so golly it's, it's that hard, is stressful, man. Oh, it's hard to be a banker, a mortgage lender, an insurance agent, a life insurance. So I basically said, I can't keep turning my agency every month when you guys have a whim on, you know, hospital income this month, mortgages this month. And so we parted ways and a friend of mine worked at Farmers. He was a in New York, in the Northeast, uh, when they built out the Northeast, it wasn't the model you had, the DM mm-hmm. model. We had corporate model. Yeah. They so called corp- it
0: the uh, the Atlantic Expansion.
1: Atlantic Expansion. So we were different. Um, and so a friend of mine had started doing that. I had an office. I had staff. I'm like, I got to figure something out. Uh, it sounded really good. And honestly, we did very well for five years. Made Toppers made a uh, championship, I think was the name, the last year we were there. Um, you alluded to what's killing it in the captive world's different than what's killing it in the indie world. And we made every trip, but it was a struggle to make money. It was a struggle to have revenue. It was a struggle yeah. to get this thing going. Um, we did quite a bit of commercial outside of farmers, legitimately, because farmers has their narrow appetite. Especially yeah.
0: in the Atlantic territory.
1: Oh, especially in New York. Let's, yeah. let's start there. <laughs> New um, York, yeah. We, we, we have this wonderful thing called the scaffolding law, action over whatever for contractors down mm-hmm. in the five boroughs. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's hard. Um, so we did that for about five years. And then November of last year, November of 2020, we went fully independent. Um, had a little disagreement with farmers. I won't go into the excruciating details. But had a little disagreement about what we were allowed to do. And they said, you're done. I said, cool. Um, Basically switched my signs the next day. And we were off and running. Um, And one of the best things about being independent is you can do whatever you want. One of the scariest things about being independent is you can do what you want. Yeah. Um, You are not lying. There was a lot of... uh, my team would say, so what are we doing? And I'd have to look behind me and go, wait, that's my responsibility. Um, yeah You know, we'll get into the whole technology issue that's going around the insurance industry, the shiny objects. I love shiny objects. Mm-hmm. I love to chase them. Um, and I'm finally slowing down with that. Um, I have found, once I found the right group of people um, And had people I could lean on, reach out to, mentor me a little bit. Um, Things became a lot easier. Um, But I had to find them. And Mm. thank God for Facebook. Thank God for IAOA. Thank God for people like David Carruthers, Chris Paradiso, who have opened their arms. And I'm some small agent in New York. And they're willing to spend time with me. And willing to help me and guide me and, and you know kind of walk me through, keep me from getting myself in trouble yeah. um, and you know we were fortunate, um, we had some markets, um, we are defining our niches a little bit better, um, we are I'm laying a foundation so we can grow. You know, I learned early on everyone's problem is we don't have enough leads. Well, that's probably not the problem. The problem might be your processes that prevent you from processing those leads. So getting more yep. leads is going to choke you. Yeah. So we decided, let's get the foundation built and then we'll worry about pulling in more leads. Right now, we have a lot of referral base because I've been in the same office, same phone number for seven years. Hmm. So people know what I'm doing. We do a lot of work in the community. Um, so most of my business is referral base and we do very little marketing right now. We're, gonna, we're changing that. But my goal is to kind of grow off of our foundation and, you know, scale. And that's hard.
0: Now, consider yourself fortunate in that regard because when I left, I gave up everything. Uh, they required me contractually to give up my phone number. I had to move to a different office. It had to be at least uh, one mile away from the previous one. And I, I mean, it was it was probably two years before I stopped getting angry phone calls from people that had had to go out and find me because they called my former number. And of course, you know, the the agent that bought my, uh, m- bought my book lasted 10 months and then sold it to another local agent. He left the industry entirely. He came in fresh from higher education, left the industry entirely 10 months later. So, two years of what happened? Why did you leave? Where did you go? I couldn't find you. So consider that a blessing my friend same office same phone number that I bet you that was very nice to be able to just literally turn the sign around and you're a different office
1: yeah and and we we have um I know a lot of uh captives have the non competes um they're they're illegal in New York so what we really have is a non solicitation which I've been honoring mm-hmm. until November 16th of this year um but yeah they they asked for my phone number and I said no mm. Um, they mentioned nothing about moving my office. Um, they, you know, I pay the rent, so my view is, I pay the, I paid for my phone, I paid my office, it's mine. Yeah, you know, and I didn't get a lot of pushback. Again, I think it might be a different model. You know, the corporate yeah. model. It's a different end. model. Yeah, Di- completely different model. So no, because
0: they flat out said no, we will sue you. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right, fine, take the phone number.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we we didn't we didn't go down that path. Thank God. I think it was more a. A mutual agreement that it's better for both parties. Let's just move on. Um, yeah. re- I'll respect you. You respect me and we're good. Yeah. Um, let's not get personal. Let's just, it's business. Um, my book got distributed among other agents and i it's not being serviced correctly. I get phone mm. calls all the time. Um, you know, my agent doesn't call me. My agent doesn't do this. And I'm like, uh, you know, sorry, I can't really help you, but give me some time.
0: So I I like to ask the question in most of these interviews, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? I think I already know the answer. You said there was a disagreement on market and and there was a uh, please go somewhere else sort of conversation. So maybe the context of your Freedom Jump is a little bit different, but you already alluded to the fact that you were uh, very much looking for the next thing because you felt in your gut uh, that being a captive agency owner excuse me, was not a long-term solution based on uh, conditions, based on what you were seeing. Talk to us about that because you chose to be a captive agent. No one forced you to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a military guy, so I know you're highly regimented in your thinking. Uh, you were in the, in the what is it, Air Force? Is that right? Navy. Navy. Sorry. Yep. I didn't mean to insult no, anyone na- there naval, with the Air nav- Force. Naval aviation. No kidding. That... Yep of course, that's what the, the wings are on the on the, yeah. the wall back there. So, you're a naval aviator. You are highly disciplined. I know that you did not make the decision to go and be a captive agency owner uh, lightly. Uh, so, walk me through the rationale. What's going on in your head when you decide to start looking at other grass than your own? What's that like?
1: You know, it, it really started with writing a lot of Commercial business outside of farmers' appetite. You know, if farmers wanted it, it was usually pretty well priced. And the other thing about New York is a lot of our commercial markets are excess surplus lines, and farmers didn't write any of that. Obviously, so New York's a little unique animal. With a lot, with a lot of it has to be written through wholesalers. Um, and so I was sick of people walking in asking for insurance, and I couldn't help them. So I started getting some markets, started getting almost set up as an independent to a certain degree in the same office. I wasn't trying to hide anything. I was very obvious in what I was doing. Um, I started to market a little bit better for myself because I feel that the farmer's brand is powerful, but I wanted to market my own person of who I was. Yeah, um, That hit some bumps, obviously. That's not a big captive. Uh, companies don't like that. Um, No, your brand
0: is their brand.
1: Exactly, and (laughs) and it's a powerful brand. It it did help, but I wanted to brand myself, so that was the first point of friction. And then I started to realize that there's a whole other world out here. I didn't know that world existed. I mean, I don't. I haven't been doing this twenty years. I mean, this was one year State Farm, five years Farmers. That's what I knew. Um, I didn't know any different. And as I started to get into the more independent side of the business and meeting other independent agents. I was like, wow, there's a whole nother world out here that I don't even understand. Um, I cannot use Sims, which was god awful. That was uh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> um, and honestly, That's just
0: the travesty of a software platform. Yeah, it
1: was the same as State Farm. State Farm had Prospector Plus, exactly the same platform, just different colors. Oh, wow. It was literally identical. Identical, James. Man, it, it I
0: didn't god-awful. know that. I, I, god awful. I, I, I knew- uh, they they were still on green screens when I started.
1: Neko, yep.
0: <laughs> at, 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 back in 2012, when I was considering it, I, I interviewed with State Farm mm-hmm. and I hated their contract and I hated their technology. And so, I didn't really give them serious consideration back then. Um, but man, that's funny to hear. I had no idea that it's the same, same platform, thing. just different colors.
1: Different colors. And <laughs> so, so when you start exploring, the wow. in, when I started looking at the independent side, I was like, you know, this... I can do whatever I want. You know, hmm. I can do this. And and honestly, yes. at this point, thank you. Honestly, <laughs> at this point, the this is when Apex came out. Apex ah. came out in September in New York. Right? So it's two months before we parted ways. And everyone's so excited. It's Salesforce. So
0: Oh, so Apex is a is a new software platform? It
1: it took the place of Sims. No kidding. Yeah. So Wow. But the problem is Salesforce, as you know, is is just a shell, right? It's all about the programming.
0: The build out is everything.
1: Build out is everything. So I, you know, everyone's all excited. Oh, Salesforce. And and I'd been on Salesforce when I worked at Dun & Bradstreet and they had built it out correctly. They had developers and this thing was awesome. And I said, this is going to be God awful because the captive world does not know how to set these things up correctly because- No idea. They- I am a producer at Farmers and State Farm. I'm not an agency owner. That's not what you are. Um, so it's great from the corporate side, you know, um, that I now am paying the rent, I'm paying the payroll, I'm paying for all the marketing, we'll cost share it, which was kind of a scam. Um, yeah. We'll drive internet leads to you real cheap. Um, that's not Trash the way Trash internet my leads that well, are low I, I
0: retention, low profit. Yeah, and yeah. I
1: I don't run my own. I know agents that are very successful. It's not the way I do my office. So I was yeah. like, hmm. And then Apex came out, and we all our data moved over. And the first day, I had 400 tasks to make phone calls. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this is stupid. So I call my my sales leader and I said, hey, you know, how do I customize this? How do I delete some of the s- steps you guys have put in here? You can't. That's very eye-opening to me. And I wow. know why they do it, right? They branded it. it w- I couldn't touch anything. The emails that went out, the links that went out, um, some of the links went to farmers.com, not my own website. That said a lot. <laughs> um, so I was the, like- The this
0: nonsense th- that captive agents put up with, man. Oh, uh, and I did. Uh, I
1: did it for five years because you know why, James? <laughs> you said it earlier. To, for me, I was successful. I made no. Toppers Club five years in a row. I made it every single year and it wasn't hard to make, honestly. Um, And then last year I made Champion. I think we were one of the, maybe one of two, I think we might've been the only agent in New York ever to make Champion. Because the other problem we had, the other advantage we had, we didn't have a life company in New York. Mm. So we didn't have the life requirement to make those trips. That's a huge advantage for us. It really is. Huge.
0: And so... Well, because Farmer's life insurance product is mediocre at best.
1: Yeah. Like, when, like when all you put of it, them. When, when <laughs> you
0: put it up against, it, at least in Texas, and this is something I will say about Farmer's, they definitely got it right. The homeowner's product, the auto insurance product, not really the Bob. The Bob has a lot of missing pieces. But the home and auto side of things it, on the paper itself is really strong. The, the whole thing about the farmer's financial services and the life insurance, I never really believed in either of those because as I'm sure you would attest uh, from the comments that you've made, they're just not that good when you go to the open market and you can go up against a New York Life or a Mass Mutual or you know one of these life-only companies that has a very strong product. And it's more competitively priced, and the agent that's selling it does nothing but life insurance all day, every day, and you get smoked at the sales table. So, sorry, I, I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a second and nope. say, nope. "Golly, You're that right. just doesn't make sense."
1: Yeah. Well, the at State Farm, I was trained to sell life insurance as a discount on the auto. Think about that. <laughs> oh, so, so when oh, I get when terrible. I got my State Farm book, like they'll give you a book when you start. Mm-hmm. Um. I was calling the clients and said, oh, you know, you have this, this. And I told a couple of clients, you have a life insurance policy. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Oh, I didn't know I had life insurance with you. So they would sell a $50,000 term or a whole life. I don't remember what it was, but it was dirt cheap. And you could almost get enough of a discount on the auto to pay for the life insurance. Wow. It was was the old theory of bundle everything together. Um, But that's not the way to sell life insurance. At least not the way I, I've learned that down the road. No, and no. I, I don't sell a lot of life insurance. I mean, we're very reactive to life. But um, I, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a different mindset. Um, but it's in the captive world. The, I, I will say the captive training is phenomenal. Um, but it's almost to the point of the brainwash. And honestly, I was asked to sell things a certain way and I didn't feel right about it from a morals perspective. And so, I had trouble doing that. And that's part of the problem I had with them. So,
0: You know, it it makes perfect sense, man. Because as I said a few episodes ago, that was one of those, whoa, I really don't think I can do this anymore. When we won a deal that we were supposed to win, because... You know, it's my job to win. It's when I talk to a prospect, I'm trying to close the deal. And I utilized my skill set and I closed the deal. Uh, We weren't unethical. We didn't break any laws. But I was not the best fit for the client. I knew it and they probably knew it, but they liked what I delivered as the individual. So, they said yes. And I'm sitting there going, I know for a fact there's two or three better options on the independent side that I don't have access to. So, I'm going to go ahead and... Um, chalk this one up as a this one hurts and 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 that was one of the main reasons why to your point you just Mm -hmm. lost faith in the process lost faith in in those you know the the pieces that get you uh to be a full puzzle
1: yeah and and also i don't know how you were in texas but in new york we could we were openly being appointed with other carriers yeah we They allowed that. They said, you could be appointed with other carriers, and that was part of the problem with why I, we, the relationship ended. Um, but there was no hiding it. It wasn't like the State Farm model where there's a separate LLC with your wife running it and you refer business over to it and all that, because we all know that exists out there in the world. Um, it was very open. And once you get a taste of it and you understand, oh my God, I can write this stuff. You Know this is awesome, and it's and you, and then the funny part is, I'll never forget. I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about commissions. And again, the captive mindset is how many policies, right?
0: Yeah, and how many a, units like, am I going to get from this? How many
1: units, right? That's the and th- there's a reason for that because when you start looking at revenue or commissions, you kind of go, Well, wait a minute, I'm getting eight, I'm getting 10%, I'm getting nine percent and in the independent world i can get 1520. Yeah. And so you can take a $100 policy and you could sell a $80 policy and make more money. Yep. And when you start doing the math, you're kind of like, "Huh?" So even yep. though i can even though i might i might can save the client a ton of money in the independent world, i'm still making more money and i know there's many people, you're one of them. Uh David Carruthers is another one that stands on that revenue soapbox. And that took me a while to understand. I'm like, wait a minute. They've yep. got a great you can't argue with the point. I'm like, that's a great point. You know, who cares if I have 50 units? And it also what's interesting is when you as I would go to Topper's Club and you talk to other like large agents out of Texas and California, where most of the big agencies were, their conversation was about how many policies? how much premium. They never talked yeah. about revenue. and Because the ol-
0: they don't get it. They don't understand.
1: They don't understand it. And, and the yeah. only way to grow, I found, I, I even tried this with farmers. I said, listen, we have agents in New York that are failing. They're small books because you know they have only been around a couple of years. Um, let me buy them. You're going to pay 25 cents on the dollar. Let me pay 50. I'm still getting a deal. And they wouldn't let us do that, because I every big agency I met, the way they got big was buying other books of business, yeah, and then being efficient, and I think it's hard to grow organically in the captive world, very hard
0: oh it's darn near impossible because uh, you know you're you're I mean look at your retention rate if you are <laughs> if you're above average, you're eighty percent, eighty two percent. In Texas, I was eighty one, eighty two percent. State average in Texas at the time was seventy seven. Uh, there's no possible way you can aggressively grow when your closing percentage is less than twenty and your retention is less than eighty.
1: Yeah, it, it, you the, can't. The, all you're
0: the, doing is replacing the business that's walking out your back door, unless you're writing a lot of business.
1: Yeah, and that's that's so, hard to do. And also, as your book grows. Back to the scaling idea, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's easy with a couple hundred policies. Yeah, There's a reason why the average farmer's agent has 800 policies. Yeah. All states, 1,600, state farms, 14. Those numbers might have changed, but that's what they were a couple of years ago. Yeah, Because we all got to that 800 mark and just couldn't, and then we just bled. Well, I mean, the
0: the average, if you take a captive agent book across all the companies, all the states, all the agents, your average book size is about $2 million in premium. Across the old agents, the young agents, the big ones, the small ones, it doesn't really matter. It's an aggregate. You're somewhere in that two $2 million range, plus or minus a little bit. And we talked about this a few episodes ago, I don't remember which one it was, uh, where it's just a matter of context. Like, I mean, I, I keep, when I was a farmer's agent, my definition of success was Sam Schleyhuber. He's an agent here in D- DFW, just a wonderfully successful, large farmer's agent. He he is, uh, he's a very confident guy. He goes back a lot of his time to other agents in the district, uh, all around just a a well-liked, very successful farmer's agent. And that was my definition for success. Uh, as a farmer's agent, he was in my district. He'd been doing it for 18 years at the time. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a, you know, an aura about him. And then I get out and go independent, and I realize, man, somebody moved move the goalpost on me. You know <laughs> what? Exactly. What is fantastic as a captive agent is downright mediocre as, as an independent agent because. I, I don't have any idea what the exact numbers were on Sam's book and his office. He had like, I don't know, 12 employees or something like that. He'd been doing it for about 20 years. It, for a farmer's agent, it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. It was probably 12, 13 million in premium, something like that. You take that and go to the IA side of things in DFW. If you only have 12 or 13 million in premium, you have 12 people on payroll and you've been doing it for 20 years, how long ago did you take your foot off the gas pedal? Because you're obviously not trying. Because I mean that would be a, a you know small side of average after 20 years with you know as an IA that was really eye opening for me to take what I mean President's Council darn near every year just an, a, on a national level an A plus farmers agent and realizing oh man this is a whole different level of success like what I have thought was the cap the peak of the mountain not even close. Uh, that that was kind of a painful realization uh, the people that i had spent 10 years emulating and building my agency after uh, their what they were chasing is very different than what i was now chasing as an independent
1: and and that i think is done on purpose cuz if you look at the business model from corporate's side point of view it's a beautiful business model it's a beautiful business model I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, it's nice to be a captive
0: carrier. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, at at State Farm, I mean, they even had a, a, they even won up farmers. So at State Farm, I paid for all the mailers that went out, but I couldn't control the addresses. What? Yeah. So they made me pay X amount (laughs) of dollars each month based on the number of people around my office. Now, my county is 330,000 people. It's not that big. Yeah. It's the whole county. There was, 25 State Farm agents in the county.
0: Wow! So they would we so paid, each one of you only has 10,000 prospects.
1: Yeah. So, but we would pay for their marketing that they would send out on, but we would pay for it. I'm paying for the payroll. I'm paying for the office. I'm paying all the expenses, and they're putting out all these flyers that say State Farm all over it, and then in little print says Rob Bowen. So they're marketing themselves and the agents are paying for it. And they said, we don't send it to multiple households, right? You only, each household only gets one agent's letter. And I had friends of mine that would get six letters from State Farm agents.
0: You mean to tell me that their direct mail campaign was not finely tuned? and That no. it didn't make any mistakes and double up on people?
1: <laughs> it would, no, it, it would this quite- is, This is it, my
0: shocked face right I, here. I can,
1: I can tell. But, it, but it's, it's, the, it's that kind of stuff, which is brilliant from the corporate level. But now that I'm, I've am i kind of opened my eyes to it, I look back at that going, wow. So I'm blindly paying money, funding State Farm to send out bailers and probably to pay for you know social media and all this other stuff that's going on. And they're branding themselves. They're not branding Rob Bowen. They're branding State Farm. Because I had people would call me. They'd show up with the bailers and it was some some other agent. And that client didn't care. Like, oh, you're a State Farm agent. I'll, I want to quote from you. Okay. Well, that...
0: Is was one of my biggest frustrations from a marketing, from a branding perspective, because as you can imagine from what you've seen and heard from me, I like to do my own thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a follower. Uh, if, if the pack is going in one direction, I feel a visceral, compelling feeling to do something different than whatever the pack is doing. It's just how I'm wired. I have my own, my own website that was not approved, my own email address that was not approved, Mm-hmm. I had my own marketing that I did that had farmer's branding was nowhere on it. I went and got my own logo because I didn't want anyone to know that I was a farmer's agent. This was like two years before I left. I, I was getting to the point that I was almost ashamed of being a farmer's agent because I was in a market with a lot of independents and a lot of other agents that we just, I just couldn't compete with. It, and all of the things that had farmers on it was farmers, 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 farmers. farmers. And then my name was small underneath that logo. And I I think that's something that the the average captive agent probably recognizes is a problem, but they don't realize exactly what they can do about it. Mm -hmm. And I I think when we talk about opening your eyes, uh, once you make that freedom jump, the notion of your brand can be whatever you want it to be. The message to your client is whatever you say it is. The products that you offer, the carriers that you represent, the the software in your office. When I say you're free, you truly make a freedom jump in every possible capacity. I think to your point earlier, it's a good thing and a bad thing because there's definitely a bit of analysis paralysis. But <laughs> yeah. getting getting to the point that you can do whatever you want, your website can be whatever you want it to be. The message that you deliver to your prospect and client is 100% up to you. The no carrier can communicate with your client without your permission. And man, that is a beautiful thing. And oh. it, it's, I, I, have to, I have to put that out there because yeah. holy cow, that really is one of the best parts about being what we are. Uh, if you'll give me just a second, Rob, that we are 34 minutes into this episode. This is a great time a commercial break so go ahead and roll that commercial and come we'll come right back with my conversation with rob bowen here on the agency freedom podcast
2: did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand vas actually merged that's right i was talking to michael cruz and checking out what he has there with his colombian workers and i said to him dude
0: All right. We are back. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, I'm sure it was a great commercial, whomever it was. Thank you for sponsoring our show. Um, Rob, we are going to pivot real quick here because I know that something that has been a hallmark of the way that you run your agency, the why behind your agency is this concept of a strong engagement in your community of finding a way to give back in a meaningful way. Uh, I know that you're, you have adopted your own version of what farmers did with Suits for Soldiers, and you're doing that in your office. Uh, before we get to that level of specificity, I'd love for you to talk about your philosophy of community engagement in a, in a more general sense for the way that you view your office in your community. Uh, your place as a business owner in your town or city talk to me about that first
1: yeah I, um my view of that is i think we as small business owners have a platform that we can leverage to help whatever your passion is you know my passion happens to be veterans and the schools and the kids um, and it doesn't matter but i realized early on um, that because i'm out networking I'm out talking to people. That's what we do. That once I have that audience, I can leverage that to help a veteran. I can leverage that to help, you know, the the, the children at the schools. Um, there are a lot of organizations that want to help uh, veterans. There's a lot of organizations that want to help the schools. I can connect them. So what I'm doing is leveraging my brand. Um, I'm leveraging who I am as a person and i'm leveraging the fact i have a physical office to help other people um you know when i go out and do uh, presentations to realtors about flood insurance or you know real estate investors about what a vacant property is or what builder's risk is i always ask for a couple minutes at the end to talk about suits for soldiers or something else that i'm working on and that's the platform i'm talking about is that i've got people you know, and it's a direct ask. It's a lot easier to have that conversation and to sell insurance. But, you know, and people will help me. They'll be, hey, I can, I know this guy. Why don't you connect with him? I know this person. You can connect with him. I've got a bunch of suits in my closet. I'll bring them to your office. Um, so for, for me, it's. I feel it's like an obligation. Now, the veteran piece, being a veteran, I feel I have that moral obligation to help other veterans. I came out of the military, um don't have PTSD, don't have any d- disabilities, and a lot of these young kids coming out now have a lot of problems. A lot of problems. They serve this country. My view as an American and as a veteran is I have an obligation to help them in any way I can, and I have those connections. I have, I know the right people. I can, if someone wants to, you know, help raise money, I can do that. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And to leverage my resources and to leverage the platform to get it done just seemed to make sense to me, you know? And it was not that difficult once it dawned on me. It took a little while for the epiphany to happen, but once it did, I was like, holy crap, I can do this. Mm. You know, we can really have an impact on children. We can have an impact on veterans. We can actively help them, Um and I'm in a lot of networking groups and people connect me to other veteran organizations that work with veterans. So now I can connect to them, you know, and it's, it's, I, it's very fulfilling. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I also honestly get to meet a lot of very interesting people doing it. Well, I think it's
0: really cool for you individually uh, because you're not just a veteran, uh, there's a couple of like subsectors within the veteran community. And if, if you serve in special forces, there's a certain amount mm-hmm. of fraternal attitude, whether you're Delta or Green Berets or, or uh, you know, the Air Force has their pararescue jumpers and obviously the SEALs. Um, all of those subgroups have their own thing. But then the community of aviators and then naval aviators, I mean, the idea of flying a, a rocket ship off of a floating uh, base in the middle of the ocean. And having that tow hook grab the the cable on the deck of an aircraft carrier, like such a tiny number of people ever experience what you did as a profession. Mm-hmm. So, the the amount of credibility that you have even within the veteran community has got to be pretty special for you to experience yeah,
1: it, it it is it, and I, I just want to be clear i didn't fly these planes i actually sat in the back and hung on for dear life oh okay which makes it even more fun so <laughs> well that's there, even better man there's a, a lot of responsible for all
0: the math involved
1: yeah so i i was in an e2 so we were like air traffic control off the carriers. oh cool but i yeah to you know we were young kids was that an a- AWACS? Uh, it's the, the AWACS is the, well, the Air Force the versions. We were the E2C Hawkeye.
0: C Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah. So we, we no.
1: like to say, sorry, for Mr. Air Force uh, brat, but it took the Air Force 35 guys. We did it with five in the Navy. So just wow. throwing it out there.
0: No, my my dad <laughs> served in, in the Air Force first and then the army after that. Okay. So uh, we, this is the kind of geeky, sil- uh, the childhood that I had. We had those flashcards of the silhouettes. And it would have the airplane's information on one side of the card. And on the back of the card, it was just a silhouette. It would sit from the side and from the top. And he used to like quiz us. We'd have the deck of cards. We'd be like, all right, what's this one? Um, F-14 Tomcat. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> F-18 Hornet. It was like, oh, crap. <laughs> that was my a big part of my childhood. So, uh, hearing that you're in an in a, a E-2C Hawkeye, man, that uh, – That brings me back for sure. So, either way, whether you're flying the plane or you're in the plane, uh, you have a lot of credibility within the veteran community to be able to, you know, get in front of the right people and figure out what do people need. And obviously, you decided Suits for Soldiers was going to be a a major focus of your uh, community engagement, your philanthropic efforts. Uh, Talk to me about that. How did you get that platform going? Uh, You had some experience as a farmer's agent. Mm-hmm. How did you make that your own? I'd love to hear about that for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting because when farmers five years ago, November 10th, I got a poster that said Suits for Soldiers. And so I called the guy that ran it out of California and said, hey, what is this thing? Oh, we're going to start collecting suits in the Northeast Territory. So I said, okay, what are we going to do with them? Um, we're going to send them to the military. And I go, well, where? They really didn't have a plan. So we did it in five states Um, We collected like 6,600 suits in five weeks. My office, do you want to talk about marketing, James? We did one newspaper article in our local newspaper, one. I was collecting 30 suits a day for five weeks. Wow. I collected 1,600 people pouring through the doors. So I was like, what do I do with them? And they're like, we're not really sure yet. We're going to send them to McGuire Air Force Base. Okay, so every Friday, we'd pack up boxes. Farmers would pay for the postage and I'd ship them. And I said, this isn't this isn't the way to scale. I didn't use that term because I didn't know what that meant yet. But um, so I connected with an organization called Save a Suit out of Bethel, Connecticut, that actually collects suits and does job fairs, among other things that they do. So now I have a distribution source. So that happened about three years ago. So once a quarter, they come with a cargo van. We fill it up, literally, and they bring it back and they have uh, this year, they've we've done 562 veterans around the United States. They do virtual tailoring. Once COVID allows us to open up, we'll start doing more job fairs. Department of Labor is involved. A lot of the big companies are involved. Because um, think about it. If you're a big company and you say, hey, I want to hire veterans. Cool. Why don't you rent out that convention center? We'll show up with 400 veterans dressed for an interview. And you also bring in You know, maybe a LinkedIn person, a resume writer. Uh, We always bring in mental health, right? We want people there to watch these kids, make sure everything's okay. You can bring in the VA. You're entitled to VA medical benefits. Did you know that? Most veterans don't. I didn't know that till three years ago. I'm 57. So I went for 24 years not realizing I was eligible for them Hmm. because I thought you had to retire. So it's getting the word out. So the suit becomes the symbol to bring the guys in and and the women in. And then you can provide a ton of resources for them, um, so it, it's very powerful. Um, I in my office, I made a decision early on. I don't take people's names. I don't take their phone numbers because I don't want them to think I'm going to market to them as an insurance agent. Um, so I don't. And we, I literally, my team knows this. We do not ever, ever sell, and we never have. I've had people come back three times and say, "Are you going to sell me insurance?" I'm like, "No." And they're like, "Well, would you quote me?" I said, "I will, but I'm not going to ask you, because I that to me is completely separate, and I have to maintain my integrity." Yeah. Um. So we we have not gotten a lot of business out of it, which is fine. I don't want the business. Sure. But what it's done is it's now allowed me to brand myself. You know, I'm known as the suit guy. That's great. Well, and
0: and obviously, there's what you mean is you haven't gotten direct business. Yes. Uh there the indirect business I imagine is very strong because mm-hmm. you have found a way to separate yourself from the you know, the mongrel horde that <laughs> just says, Hey, can I get you a quote? Hey, can I get you a quote? Oh, let me review your policies. Oh, I can save you some money. Shut up. What are you doing for the suit the soldiers? Oh, oh, my guy got uh a Suits for Soldiers campaign. What did your guy do? Buy a billboard on the highway? Mm-hmm. So, man, I love that. That, that really speaks uh, to to something of a, a higher purpose, uh, dare I say, even a calling, perhaps. Yep. So, man, I, I love that. Anything else you want to say there about uh, Suits for Soldiers or uh, how people can get involved uh, with what you are doing if they want to jump in in some way?
1: Yeah, um, you can certainly give me a call um, in my office. Um, I guess 845-610-5700. Um, if you're local to me in New York, you can drop suits off in my office. You can also make a monetary donation to save a suit. I am not a 501 C3. They are. Um, so they'll take donations right off their website. It costs us $40 to mail a suit around the United States. So we're we're taking monetary donations. We have a ton of suits. Um, we have a lot of dry cleaners, um, who donate clothes after 90 days or whatever the number is. Um, But if anyone wants to get involved, anyone wants to collect suits for Save-A-Suit, that's great. I'm the only one that does it in New York. Most of them are in Connecticut, which is where Save-A-Suit is based out of, um, run by a gentleman named Scott Sokolowski, who is uh, in the Air Force. Hmm. So um, he wants to go nationwide. And ironically, he did talk to farmers about leveraging what they were doing, and that didn't work out. Hmm. So Imagine that. Yeah, shocking. Uh, um, Gosh! So yeah, whatever anyone wants to do to help, uh, I will take suits. I will take interview clothes. I'll take most anything, um, and certainly the monetary will help us virtual tailor these suits and ship about to, you know, the men and the women that serve this country.
0: No, I love that man. I I uh, will definitely uh, be contributing. You said it's uh, what forty to ship.
1: Forty to ship. So if you go to saveasuit.org, dot org. Mm-hmm. is the organization and there's a donate button. Okay. Right at, right on the top.
0: I'm going to put that in the episode notes uh, of, of this episode. So if you want uh, to go straight to saveasuit.org, check out the episode uh, show notes. Uh, it'll be down there in the bottom uh, and RiskWell is definitely going to participate in that. Thank, Thank you, you for letting me know about that. That's that's fantastic. Uh, the The number of veterans that are dealing with mental health issues that are uh, that are homeless, that are unemployed. Uh, I think there is no stronger rebuke of our country that uh, our um, combat veterans are dealing with something like that. Uh, that they are scarred for life, and then they're homeless, or they're looking for a meal, or they're stuck begging. Like shame on us. Uh, that is, we absolutely must do better in those areas.
1: I um, you, you I? are you are preaching. I will jump on any soapbox because. My view is they should never be homeless. They serve this country. They were kids when they did it, same age as my kids. My son was in the navy my daughter in law is currently deployed um they're kids I don't care how, if they're twenty five twenty seven they're kids yeah. and we have an obligation to help them in any way we can and they have a skill set you know they have they have a skill set, and there are plenty of jobs out there and I work with other organizations that try to connect veterans to jobs and you know, I even talked to some of my prospects and clients. I'm like, you're looking for work? You want to hire veterans? I'll help you. You know, hmm. let, let, again, leveraging my platform to help a veteran. So.
0: Love that, man. You know, at this point in the episode, talking about insurance almost seems, you know, trite or, or <laughs> superficial after after that talking point there. So, I, I think that's probably a good place to end the content here. Is there anything else you want to cover before we get on, Rob?
1: No uh that thank you for giving me that opportunity to get the word out and if anyone has questions like i said give give my office a call I'm um, more than happy to guide you through it there's a lot of ways we can help veterans and you know find find your passion and you know there's probably a way for you to help a veteran somewhere so
0: the, the message that I will leave you with, Freedom Jumper, as we wrap this thing up is obviously Rob has found his thing uh, for philanthropic efforts. He has found the way that he chooses to give back monetarily with his time and energy. Uh, whether you are doing the same uh, with this cause for org, or you're doing something different that is more aligned with uh, your own uh, life experience and the, the cause that you want to champion. Every single one of us should be engaging with our community, should be engaging in some sort of philanthropic efforts. And perhaps I've been remiss in allowing uh, the number of episodes go by that has without really spending any time talking about community engagement and giving back to our local community and finding causes that matter to us uh, in a personal way beyond just the practice of selling insurance and serving clients. Uh, So I would really challenge you to ask yourself uh, each one listening to this episode, as I am currently uh, reflecting on this, how how am I giving back? How am I bettering my community? How am I adding to uh, the, the positive outcomes in the world? Uh, find a way to do that this week, this month, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's volunteering uh, at a local nonprofit in your community. Maybe it's raising money for a cause that you care about. Whatever that thing is. Find it and take action this week. There's your challenge. Because uh, Most people listen to this on uh, Fridays. So that's when our episodes drop. Uh, so before the end of today, if you're listening to this on Friday, if you're listening over the weekend, before the end of Monday, take action and find some way, even if it's small, even if it's repetitive, find some way to give back uh, to your community and your agency's uh, natural market. So... That is about it uh, for me. Uh, Rob Bowen, New York. uh, What's the city of New York?
1: Uh, I'm in Chester, New York. I'm about 60 miles north of Manhattan.
0: Okay. Chester, New York. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, man. This was a different flavor. I I really appreciate the context that you have added to uh, the dialogue that we have here on Agency Freedom Podcast. Folks, that is it for this episode. Do me a quick favor. Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. It helps drive the algorithm, helps other people find us. Leave a review. If you are loving what you're hearing uh, from Agency Freedom Podcast, take 20 seconds of your life and tell people why you're listening. And lastly, most importantly, please share this podcast with someone who is currently in the captive world who would like to maybe someday not be in the captive world, just like Rob and I have done in our story and you probably have in yours as well. That's it for this episode, folks. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Uh, We will talk to you soon. And oh, I'm supposed to do the, uh, the little tagline thing. This is Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Have a great day, boys and girls.
1: Thanks, James.